Hello, this is Patty Scalzo, welcoming you to Shear Jeshub, a Bible study program brought to you by the Church Fellowship of Shear Jeshub Christian Tabernacle in the shoreline town of Madison, Connecticut. My husband, Pastor Greg Scalzo, is currently teaching an in-depth series on heavenly authority. And in our last program, Pastor was in the book of Judges, chapter 11. We saw how the Ammonites had waged war on the Israelites, and we learned of the efforts of Jephthah to reach a diplomatic solution and end the conflict. However, the king of Ammon rejected Jephthah's initiative and preferred to continue the fight. So now let's rejoin Pastor Greg as he reads from verse 27 of chapter 11 in the book of Judges with Jephthah's reply to the Ammonite king. May the Lord, he says to him, may the Lord, Yahweh, the judge, render judgment this day between the children of Israel and between the people of Ammon. Once you've debated all you can and you've talked all you can, the only thing you can do is leave it in God's hands. Let the Lord judge. And you know what that word there for judge is? It's not going to surprise you. It's shofat. It's the same word that's being used here of Gideon and Jephthah and Deborah and all the other judges in the book of Judges. Remember, they were governmental leaders. They were administrators. They were rulers. They had influence in judicial matters. They administered justice. And they were saviors and deliverers. All is encompassed in that word, Shaphat. They judged Israel. But notice Jephthah, the judge, understands an important principle. That really, there's only one judge. May Yahweh, the judge... He is the true judge. They're just his servants. He is the one who is king of kings and lord of lords. He is the one who is the judge of the living and the dead. And he is the only savior and the only deliverer. He is the only real shafat, the only administrator, the only savior, the only dispenser of justice and judgment and protection. That's why he can be a judge, Jephthah. Because he understands that really there's only one judge, God Almighty himself, the one who will judge the living and the dead. And so he receives this limited authority for a time to lead his people because he recognizes the ultimate kingship of God himself. He is that he is. He is the judge. And let him be the one that makes judgment, that renders judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. Verse 28, However, the king of the people of Ammon did not heed the words which Jephthah sent him. So the king of Ammon wants war. He wants to continue the war. So now that diplomacy has not taken root, what happens? Verse 29, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed through Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he advanced toward the people of Ammon. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. When there's the Spirit of the Lord, 
there's victory. The power of God comes upon him. The anointing of God comes upon him. He's empowered for this battle as the Holy Spirit falls upon him. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Jephthah. The whole Bible, and particularly this book of Judges is a great example of it, there's an openness with which the key personalities are portrayed. Their weaknesses, their flaws are shown clearly. And that's why you know that the Bible, unlike other books, is a book of truthfulness and integrity. It doesn't hide the things that the key personality figures do. We know about David's sin. We know about Abraham's sin. It's an honest book. It's an honest account, unlike the accounts of the pagans where the key personalities are made to be something very special. We see the human nature of these judges in this apostate time period, in this very rugged time period. And Jephthah's flaw, we won't read it in detail now, but as God's spirit comes upon him and he's ready to go out for battle, he tries to add to what God is doing. There's no need to make a vow at this point. The spirit of God is going to come upon him and use him to deliver. But sometimes we can't help but think we can add to what God does. And he makes a vow, a foolish vow, an unwise, rash vow to the Lord Basically saying that whatever greets him out of his house, when he comes back from the victory, if God gives him the victory, he's going to offer up to God. And who comes out of the house when he comes back but his daughter? And she's a virgin. She's his only child. What results is most likely, and there's debate over this, but most likely it winds up that she has to go because she's been offered to God and have a very special service at the tabernacle and remain a virgin because her life is given over to God. It means the end of Jephthah's lineage because she's his only child. So she can't have children, and it's a rash, unnecessary vow that he makes. That's why Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 33. Again you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your own head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. It's Satan tempting us to try to go beyond our limits and somehow make an oath to make God do something. Just let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Jephthah here thinks with a vow he can get more empowerment from God. And it's not necessary. And he louses up his daughter's life and his really his whole lineage. Verse 32. So Jephthah advanced towards the people of Ammon to fight against them. And the Lord delivered them into his hands. And then the end of verse 33. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of 
of Israel. A great victory. These people who seem so mighty, by the anointing of God's Spirit upon Jephthah, him and his troops, and many of those troops are these aimless guys who had nothing really to do, maybe others rejected by society like he was rejected, are able to win a victory for God. Who is the man? Who is the man that God will choose? Remember the question of the elders of Gilead? Who is the one that God will choose? God chose Jephthah. Wasn't their choice, but he was God's choice. Then it goes on to mention, verse 7, Jephthah dies. Uh, Then there's a brief mention of a man named Ibzan of Bethlehem, who judged Israel seven years. Once one would die, God would raise up another. Then Ibzan dies in chapter 12, verse 10. And in verse 11, Elon, the Zebulonite of the tribe of Zebulun, he judges Israel for 10 years. And after his death, Abdon, uh, he's from a city in the tribe of Ephraim. He judges Israel eight years with a large number of sons and grandsons. And you see how different tribes, different individuals, different towns, as the Spirit moves upon them, no lineage, no institution, no formal kingship at this time. There's only the religious center at Shiloh with the tabernacle and these different leaders as God anoints. And then when Abdon dies, we read in chapter 13, verse 1, and again... The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. The Philistines over by that Gaza Strip area. 40 years. And that brings us to the next judge, to an important person in our study of heavenly authority, which we obviously won't start today, the man named Samson, the Danite. But when we close, I just want to close with one scripture in Hebrews chapter 11 because it makes reference to these judges we'll see the name of Jephthah in this list in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 32 in this section on faith it says and what more shall I say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness, Jephthah was a man we might consider in weakness, was made strong, became valiant, or some of your translations will say, became powerful in battle, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. They were powerful in battle. We've said that what was physical to them is spiritual to us. We have to be anointed by God's Spirit for the heavenly battle, the battle in heavenly realms against the forces of evil. There's a spiritual battle that Christians are called to. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, he said in verse 13, I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. And then he says down in verse 14, 
I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. We're called to be like that band with Jephthah. We're called to gather together like strong young men, no matter what our ages are, and to fight a strong battle against the enemy. And we overcome him. The word of God abides in you. When God's word abides in us, we have a sword and we have a power for victory. And the spirit of the Lord can come upon us and use us for this mighty battle. And the judges are examples of the battle that we stand in. We as Christians, no matter what our age, male or female, right? The Spirit shall be poured out on all flesh. Not against human beings, not against flesh and blood, as they had back then, but against rulers and principalities in spiritual realms. We ought to be as strong young men. I write to you, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Father, we thank you for your scriptures today. We ask, Lord, that we would be encouraged by them, that we would remember the account, Lord, that your word would not be void with us, Lord, but we would be good ground, good soil, that when the seed is planted, the crop would come up and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like to write to us, or feel led of the Lord to help support our church's outreach. Our address is Shear Jashub Christian Tabernacle, Post Office Box 518, Branford, Connecticut 06405. And if you will be in the Madison, Connecticut area, Shear Jashub Christian Tabernacle Sunday service is at 10 a.m. at the Memorial Hall on Meeting House Lane in Madison, Connecticut. Join us next time for Shear Jashub.